what is off the groove? It means you've blown the line or you're pushing the limits a little bit too far or just maybe you might be looking for a faster way around the racetrack. Off the Groove with Scotty Dubler. All right, back at you. Day two. Back-to-back show. Back-to-back-to-back, because we're going to do one tomorrow, too. I was going to say that tomorrow, Carter. You just stole my thunder. Sorry. You can say it tomorrow still. That'll be the first thing. That's how we start episode the third episode of the weekend. You say back-to-back-to-back, okay? All right. So who are we talking to today? Jackie Van Ham. I mean, it's only been like 12 hours. Have you already forgot? 12? How about 24? How can you forget about Jackie? She's one of your favorite people in the world. Dude, she is the most bubbly personality I think I've ever met. There's no way you could talk to Jackie and not be, not get excited and have a huge smile on your face. She's uh, she's one of the most energetic people I've ever met. She loves motorcycles, and uh, she always has a good time no matter what she's doing. What I like about her is her passion. She loves motorcycles, and you can just tell it by what she does, how she talks, and what I don't think people understand is she's been around motorcycles her, you know, for a very long time. It's not like she just we just threw her the microphone at American Flat Track said, "Here you go." Yeah, you no. know, it's not like she was just a big fan. She's been behind the mic for a very long time, and she's good at what she does and what she talks about. It's all motorcycles. It's all the time, except for when she's talking about Frank. Yeah, she loves her wiener too. You know, I'm a wiener guy. That sounds. I bad. know. You you got your own wiener. I got my own little wiener. Yeah. She was dressed up the other day. Yes. My own little wiener was dressed up. Oh, uh, <laughs> boy. I look forward to talking to her. You want to give her a call? Let's call her. Here we go. Hello? Is this Jackie Van Ham? Is this handsome Scotty Dubler? You know that it is. <laughs> Hi, buddy. How are you? I'm good. What have you been doing? I haven't seen you for like a minute. I know. I've been enjoying a little bit of downtime. I had such a super, super rowdy, I mean, I can't even say summer because it's it's been like spring, summer, and fall. Thank goodness. I'm grateful. I love the work. I love, I've had really, really, really awesome good time. But winter for me, I've been slowing down a little bit and trying to focus on booking next season. You know, it's, it's always something. You know how it is. You're always on the always on the run just like I am. Yep, always looking for the next gig, always looking for the next paycheck. It's uh, it's kind of weird because some people don't understand that we're contract employees and we try to go out there and negotiate our own deals and then we work for whoever we can. So uh, it's hard to get your name out there and then you got to keep following up and try to keep the you know keep your name out there. It's it's uh, hard to do. Absolutely. No, you've got to just be fearless and you've got to be relentless about it for sure. But no, it's independent contractor life. But let's not, you know, let's not play games around here. You and I are two of the luckiest people in America. We literally get paid to talk about motorcycles. Absolutely. You you talk about motorcycles a whole lot more than I do. I talk about motorcycle racing and racers, but uh, let's just jump in and get to know who Jackie Van Ham is. So where were you born? I was born in northern Illinois in DeKalb County in a little city called Sandwich, Illinois. And it's at the time, I think it was a city of maybe like 5,000 people in between Chicago and maybe like Rockford. So okay. I kind of am, and I'm the way back, one of the fast boys from Illinois. Not really, not at all, not, not fast at all. Uh, but anyway, so DeKalb County, and that was, there was huge uh, county fairs, and it was, you know, small town type living. We had some cool hopped up go karts and six wheelers and fun toys. I am the only girl of several boys in my family. So obviously I was raised a little bit of a tomboy and fell in love with all of the wheels and all of the toys and all of the things. And I think that must have been what lit the fire in me for a motorcycle from a young age. 
So how'd you end up in Kentucky? Kentucky. So after I grew up rural northern Illinois, I ping-ponged around the country a little bit. I was on the West Coast a little bit, came back towards the Midwest. My last big city stop was late 90s, early 2000s, and that was Chicago. And I love Chicago. Super, super fun town. Great, cool bike scene there. I've still got tons of friends, great vintage bikes, cool stuff going on up there, but just terrifically expensive. And the weather is just awful. So in the winter, in the summer, it's amazing, but in the winter, it's disgusting. So I kind of started looking around, thinking about where my next plan was going to be. I'd come down here to Louisville, Kentucky several times to come visit. It's always about 10 degrees warmer in the winter. It snows here maybe once in the wintertime. And it's just a really nice kind of chill, laid back secret city. But there's but there's really cool stuff going on here. And it's really easy to get back to Chicago's only five hours up the road, Cleveland six hours. Like you can still get get to cool places and do neat things also. But I genuinely love it here and I've been here for almost fourteen years. Right on. So you said uh, with all the boys in your family, is that how you kind of got into motorcycles? Did they push you that way or do you want to be like them? Or how did you get involved in motorcycling? I think so for sure. I think it was a little bit of, you know, being one of the boys, but also when you hear things that are, oh, that's a girl's thing or that's a boy's thing. If you told me that was a boy's thing, I definitely wanted to do it and I wanted to be twice as good at it. This is something that's in me. I don't know what it is. I don't know where it comes from, but it's just a thing. And nobody else really had, we didn't really have a whole lot of dirt bikes. It was mostly little go-karts and four-wheelers and six-wheelers and stuff. But we did have a lot of land. And I remember when I was maybe like 11, we were out at the local pizza place when, you know, the families would all bring their kids. The kids all get their handfuls of quarters. They go play um, video games. And then the parents all drink beer and eat pizza and hang out. Well, one of the dads was saying that he had a little dirt bike for sale. And the minute I heard that, I lit up like Christmas and just harassed my dad about it, like relentlessly. So finally, my dad, just to get me off of his case, bought me this dirt bike. Well, he got it to the house, and the next day he had to go to work, but it was, maybe it was like a Saturday or something. He grew up, he used to work, it still does, in the car industry. So he was selling cars. So I'm sure it was like a Saturday, and he had to go to car lot. So he woke up and told my stepbrothers, you've got to teach Jackie how to ride. And she, and she has to wear a helmet. Those are the two, two things that have to happen today. And sure enough, we get outside. My stepbrothers are blacking around on this little dirt bike, you know, shredding and, and tearing it up. And I was like, I, I got this. Like, I got this. And got on the bike. And they taught me how to upshift, but didn't really teach me how to brake or stop. And I did not have a helmet on. So immediately, oh. you can tell where the story is going, right? So immediately, uh-huh. I did this huge wide arc around, like, some of the back property. And we started putting some fencing up back there. So there was the fence posts concreted in, but not the rest of the actual, like, or the stakes were concreted in, I guess is what you'd call it, but the posts weren't up. Anyway, I ended up, like, totally target fixating like crazy on this fence post. I just nailed it. So wrapped the bike in two, for sure. Did a huge header over the handlebars and just smashed. And unfortunately, there was a John Deere tractor parked right there. And so I crashed on top of this tractor, smashed my face up, definitely hurt myself, but was terrified of what my dad was going to say, because I also totaled this bike. I'd only been riding it for about 27 minutes. And so my sister just grabbed me, like, by the scruff, basically dragged me upstairs, threw me into my bedroom, told me to not tell my dad what had happened, and slammed the door shut. So I just sat and cowered until my dad came home and just, like, read me the riot act and from then on there was never ever motorcycles mentioned 
ever in the house. Wow. <laughs> so finally, once I moved out of the house and became a grown-up and lived on my own, that's when I started to get the feelings again for motorcycles. And the bug was still in there. It just had been dormant for a little while. But I got the bug again and started picking up a neat magazine, ironically also from Northern Illinois. But by this time, I was living in San Diego, California, called Walnut Cycle Trader. And kids may or might not know what the Walnix is. Do you know what Walnix is, the cycle trader? I, I don't. I know a cycle trader is, but I've never heard the okay. first part, what you're calling so, it. So Walnix is a guy's last name, and he published his own cycle trader uh, magazine. It would come out every month. It was black and white, just like the cycle trader, you know, black and white on paper. It leaves ink all over your hands. It's vintage-specific. And he would also repop articles from magazines from when these bikes were produced so in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And it would have like all the specs and they would talk about, you know, the new uh, two-star triple from Kawasaki, the Widowmaker. And, you know, it would have all of the language and talk all the way through all the bikes. And I would just read it like the Bible and just memorize it. I just was totally enraptured with it. I just loved it. And that's when I got the, got the bug again really, really bad. And then several years later, is when I bought my first motorcycle, and it was a little 1964 Honda Dream 305. It was a little white, just cream puff with the big swoopy fenders, and that was my very first bike. Wow. That's crazy. So have you ever done any racing, or is it all street bike riding that you do? So it's been street bike riding. I've wanted to go racing for forever. I used to follow really heavily. Back in like the mid-2000s, I would go follow Arma, which is a vintage race uh, club series that travels all around America. So I'd go follow Arma races that were in the region, or sometimes I would even get on the bike and travel and ride all day or a day or two to go get to some of the races. Uh, back in the Wayback Machine, they used to run vintage race event at Daytona before Daytona Bike Week would kick off. So I would go watch the vintage bikes race at Daytona. I would go see them at Mid-Ohio. I'd see them at Gingerman. Anyway, I'd go to like five or six races out of the year and and kind of followed them. I just fell in love with it. And I always had every intention of going racing. <laughs> and then either, you know, the wallet wasn't strong enough or I didn't have enough time or I don't remember. You know, I don't know why. I've never managed to get around to it. But I definitely am a super fan. I still would love to go racing. My passion has changed a tiny little bit away from road racing, more to dirt. I started following dirt and really, really falling in love with dirt and dirt bike riding and dirt racing, flat track racing. Maybe like two years ago, I think it must have been, I saved up my pennies and decided that I was going to go check it out. I was going to see what the buzz was all about with this dirt track, flat track racing. And so I took myself to uh, Johnny Lewis's, 10 training his it's now called moto anatomy i think anyway the johnny lewis school i went and did that for a weekend with a couple of my girlfriends that have never ridden dirt bikes either so it's a total beginning entry level school but it was awesome and i loved it i did that i ended up doing super camp danny walker i ended up doing uh, colin edwards texas tornado boot camp down in texas which was wow. phenomenal which is incredible I did a BMW Off-Road Academy, but that was on the big, great, big, huge new BMW GS bikes. But I just I just decided to throw myself all in. I decided to save my pennies over the winter and just really, really pursue it and just check it out. And now I'm completely in love with it. I think it's amazing. I'd love to go racing. But again, I don't know if it, what keeps me from it. I don't know if, my, if the wallet is just too weak or I don't, I don't know what it is. But I've got a couple of bikes. I'd love to go vintage racing and or flat track racing. Something modern, but maybe small displacement. Uh, I haven't quite figured out what my next step is going to be. 
I got you. So what, what is it about flat track racing that's got you hooked in? Well, like I'd mentioned about following that armor racing, I just really fell in love with not only the bikes, because the bikes are super cool. That's a given. But it's the people that go. It's these rad families and these networks and these groups of people in armor racing in particular that I fell in love with. You know, it's just super welcoming. Everybody wants to talk to you. They want to chat bikes with you. If something happens to your next competitor and his bike breaks down, it isn't like, ha-ha, one less guy on the grid. It's like, oh, here's the tools you need. Here's the part you need. I want to see you out there. I want to see you racing. Um, and I just love that spirit to it. And so when I first started going to some of these flat track races, I found that it had a super similar vibe. It's just this straddling families of people that go all around America and everybody knows each other. And if you're hungry, come on, in, sit down, let's chat bikes. They see you every weekend. How's it going? How's your dad? How's your mom? I just thought that that was really incredible. I just really, really fell in love with it. I also fell, I fell in love with dirt riding in particular, not just flat track racing, but dirt riding, period. One, because I had done it since I smashed up that motorcycle when I was 11. <laughs> but two, I love it because it allows you to really hone your skills. Because out here on the street, when you're street riding, there's so many other X factors, right? There's cars. These people in the cars not paying attention. There's people in the cars texting. There's people, you know, I mean, there's just so much other stuff going on. And it's so full of all these other distractions. I think it's just gotten really quite dangerous to street ride because of all of those things going on. So I like that I can just focus entirely on me and the bike and my body position and what I should be doing and having the correct reactions and correct responses, not panicking, you know, because the dirt's always moving. The surface is always changing. It's a great way to teach teach yourself to not panic when things change. And then I, and then those skills translate to that street riding, right? Because that way you're not panicking. You're in the corner of your eye. You're setting yourself up for it. You're setting yourself up to stop. You're starting to engine brake. You're pulling in the clutch. You're braking. You're, you know, you're, you're utilizing all those skills again. So anyway, that's why I fell in love with dirt, dirt riding and dirt racing. And then that led to, because I had a little bit better understanding of flat track racing, I started following my friends that raced hooligan and super hooligan race series. And then I just fell in love with the drama of that, riding these super inappropriate, hazy as can be. These bikes are not meant to be out there racing dirt. Like, they're just ridiculous. But these guys go out and do it every single weekend, and they bang bars. They have a great time. At the end of the day, everyone packs up their stuff. They crack a couple beers, and everyone's buddies. And I thought that was really, really awesome. And several years ago in Austin, Texas, I was in town for the handbuilt show, MotoGP, and there was a super hooligan race, a rolling sands, an Indian motorcycle super hooligan race going on as well. And it was an AMA Pro Flat Track race. So it was everything. All of the things were in Austin, Texas on this one weekend, like three or four years ago. And my friend that it was running the race needed another announcer. And I literally just happened to be on site. He'd seen me announce for Indian at Daytona and Sturgis like I always do and all these other big events. Because even though, you know, I'm new to some of your American Flat Track listeners, I've been doing this for going on 10 years now. I've been on here as long as you have. I just have been in a very different category. We'll call it that. Anyway, so my buddy, he always seen me announce, and he said, hey, do you want to jump on the mic and help announce Super Hooligan Race that's going on later today? I'm like, 
Absolutely. And so sure enough, we just kicked it off and got underway. They had a guy to do like the straight announcing, to do the grid announcing. And I was just going to do color and commentary, which was perfect. Like I said, I knew all those dudes. So I just sat and really just talked smack about every single one of them and gave them all a really, really hard time and tried to make people laugh. And they did. And I loved it. And I had a blast. That's cool. I mean, that you just, you know, at the right place at the right time and you got to, you know, enjoy it. And like you said, have some fun, make fun of your buddies and have a great time. And then, you know, one thing leads to another and you get to do more and more racing. So when you started announcing, you said about 10 years ago, there weren't a lot of women in the industry. Uh, what inspired you to grab the microphone and start talking about motorcycles? Well, that worked out because 10 years ago, I shipped my old 1972 BMW R75 slash over to Europe to tour Europe solo for about three months and really check out the European motorcycling racing scene. And I had the really good fortune of going to several different MotoGPs and World Superbike and Ducati Museum and just seeing all this incredible motorcycling culture that goes on in Europe and just fell in love with it and had just the most glorious trip. But when I came back, I had had some partners in the trip, not cash, because that's very, very difficult to get money out of people. But I did have some generous companies that gave me like, you know, a helmet or here's some luggage to take on the trip or here's a GPS or, you know, whatever, like some of the little things and stuff to help me get down the road a little bit better. And I came back and I wanted to go to the Chicago International Motorcycle Show, which I'd been to previously, one of the biggest shows in the country. Because I knew the company that had helped me out with a helmet and with some some of my gear were going to be there. And I wanted to go and thank them in person because I thought that was a cool thing that they did for me. They did me a solid. The least I can do is go and see them face-to-face, go to the show, show them some of the magazine covers that I ended up on and some of the magazine articles that had been produced from the trip and let them see them see their ROI as, as it is, to see their return on investment. So I, I, I showed up there and, and thanked them and told them how much I love their product. And I just had this amazing trip and it made everything so much better. And, and they said, well, clearly you love talking about it. Clearly you love the travel. And obviously, you know, you're not shy and, and you're into what we do. How do you feel about joining us out here on the International Motorcycle Show circuit and going to all these shows and basically just telling your story and telling your experience with the product for us? And I was like, that's a job. That's unbelievable. All right. So I jumped in, and sure enough, at the time, I think there was about 14 International Motorcycle Show stops at that time. This was in 2008, 2009. And so I went and did the full circuit with them. In the meanwhile, I had you know, gotten to know all these other companies because there's everybody's there. It's, you know, it's the Chicago shows especially. Long Beach, Chicago, and New York are the biggest shows. And everybody's there. Every manufacturer, parts, soft parts, hard parts. You know, you name it, it's all there. And I would just look around and what had been going on previous to me getting there for how many years, I have no idea. But what they would do for trade shows is they would just send people from the office or from, you know, maybe like the warehouse that had been working all week, Monday through Friday. They convince them that they would go and have a great time working at the trade show. Why don't you come fly on out and work work all weekend long for 12 to 14 hours a day. Well, obviously these poor people were not particularly stoked about it and they were not particularly nice about it either. And I don't blame them. You know, they, they just got done doing a Monday through Friday shift, but that's what the whole industry would do. There was no like hired gun. It was, there was nobody really jumping in and just saying, Hey, I know your product or, Hey, I can learn this product 
with me, fly me out, pay me my dairy, and I will, you know, give the whole spiel and, and educate, educate, sell, you know, whatever you're, whatever you're doing at your booth. That didn't really exist either. And there certainly was hardly any women doing it. So I stuck, I stuck out like a sore thumb, which at the, which sometimes in my past that has been a negative, but in this case, it worked out to be a positive. And I had these companies kind of reach out and be like, you know, we saw you every weekend, load the truck, drive the truck, pitch it and talk about it all weekend long. You showed up every morning at 6 a.m. with a coffee. You said good morning to everybody. You were super pleasant. How do we get you to work for us? And that, that, that's the start of the whole thing. That's awesome. I mean, you know, just being there, being seen and having your enthusiasm that obviously we all catch your enthusiasm are you still doing that stuff on the side? Are you still working on, on the motorcycle shows? I know your your contract with Progressive is up, but are you doing anything any of any of that this winter? Well, like you mentioned, you know, you and I both are independent contractors out here, so I'm always on the lookout for sure. But right this second, I actually did not get picked up this season for International Motorcycle Show, which turned out to be a blessing in disguise because I as much as I love that life, you know, this would be going on my 10th season of it. It's okay to step away from it and take a little bit of a break after 10 years, you know, and the past season with American flat track racing just really hit home for me, how much I want to be in more of kind of like a racing type category. I just really enjoy it. I love the energy from it. I love the dynamic versus standing on a carpet, pitch us on something every single weekend. It's just got a totally different flavor. And I love that excitement of it. What I do on Fans Choice is live because to me, that's a totally different ball of wax, man. You've got to say it. You've got to say it right. You've got to spit it out and, and just move on. Um, yeah. And I think that that's really exciting. And that is such a super particular skill set that not many people have. So I'm really pumped that I get to utilize it a little bit also because I've been working with my folks, my friends from Chopper Town, and I do live streams for them twice a week. So I've gotten, you know, used to it and I've gotten, I think, you know, some decent practice and time under my belt doing it. I'm always on the hustle, always looking, but I've really fallen in love with thinking more about racing and thinking about those avenues. So taking this time right now, to really kind of work on my bio, to work on putting some video stuff together and trying to pitch some some other folks and see what else is out there and look beyond trade show. I mean, I'll always go back and do trade show. I just did, you know, last month I got picked up by a friend of mine who's importing a really, really beautiful helmet from England right now. He came to help me out in Vegas. Like, absolutely. I'm not going to say no, especially if it's something that I love, you know, or a company or a product that I love. Absolutely. I'll, I'll never say no to it. It's literally, you know, getting paid to talk about motorcycling. I'll, I'd never say no. <laughs> absolutely. So you mentioned you went to Europe and you went to Europe this past summer again. So tell, tell us what it's like, you know, what's the difference, I guess, between the European racing culture and the racing culture we have over here in the States? Well, super interesting to me because it's kind of like two sides of the same coin. So road racing in Europe, which has been its historical provenance, and it's, you know, it just, it's so much bigger, the road racing scene. It's huge. It's massive. It's the home of multiple, multiple, multiple motor GPs, the home of multiple motor Grand Prix winners and racers and teams. So road racing overseas is just bonkers. It, it's huge. It's on a totally different level of what we see here in the United States. Unfortunately, I wish I wish road racing was at that same level here in this country. Unfortunately, it is not. I do not know why, but it just isn't. Even going to a Grand Prix where there's 200,000 people 
and these racetracks become, in essence, cities. Cities of hundreds of thousands of people. And these people come from all over Central Europe, packing tents and gear and things on their bikes. And they ride there, and they ride two up, and they camp, and they party, and they light stuff on fire. And they just go crazy, and they lose their marbles for an entire weekend. And I thought that was just phenomenal. I've just never seen anything like it. So I love going to Europe and seeing that difference. But again, because it's two halves of the same coin, so what's upticking here in this country, as you and I both know, is flat track. So flat track is upticking, and there's a real big resurgence of interest in American flat track, in hooligan flat track racing, in outlaw-style flat track racing, in mini bike, in booty bike. It's all about dirt right now in this country. I feel like it is. In Europe right now, they're just starting to get that bug. They're just starting to get the dirt track fever. So there's a couple of little events overseas, but they're much smaller, but they're super cool. I'd love to go see them in person. I didn't have the chance this past summer when, again, to celebrate the 10-year anniversary of shipping that bike over the first time, I shipped that exact same 1972 BMW R-Supi-5 back over again to go do another five weeks, traveling mostly in Germany, a little bit of Switzerland, a little bit of northern Italy, and just had a and had a chance to go to a couple of different vintage race events and really, really neat stuff. MotoGP again. I got the chance to go to Saxon Ring, which was fantastic. It's really fascinating and incredible. There's just a different volume of how many people go and how serious and how intense road racing in particular is overseas. So I've got no doubt that the dirt racing will absolutely take off. And like I said, it already has. And I would love to go check it out. So hopefully maybe next year, that'll, that'll, that'll be on my bucket list. Sounds good. So let's talk about your love for hooligan racing. You, you've talked about them a few times. That's where you, you announced your first motorcycle race was a super hooligan event. So tell us about your passion or your love for the hooligan class. Well, I love it because, again, I just I fell in love with it because it's just these bikes that are just super inappropriate. It's these huge, huge machines that are not meant to be out there for track racing, but they do it anyway, right? I love the kind of devil-may-care attitude about it. I love how all the guys know each other. And, yeah, there's some really serious battles for points. I mean, the winner of the Super League is Race Series last season, 2017, Andy Dorino, took home a brand-new 2017 FTR 750, the race bike built by Indian Motorcycle. That's a $46,000 bike, and that's what he took home in 2017. So there's real prizes on the line, and, and the guys that are up in one, two, and three are real, real, real serious. But even the guys you know that are mid-pack, and even the guys that are at the top, they're all there. They're having a great time. It's super fun. Um, you know, you're banging bars with your bros. At the end of the day, everyone packs their stuff up in the truck and they're cracking beers and having a good time. And I thought that was really, really cool about it. I love that kind of casual atmosphere. I love that it's bringing younger people, people that are not familiar at all with flat track racing of any type. It's at least exposing them to a certain side of dirt track racing. And to me, you know, that's the gateway drug of getting them to pro level events. And I have had several friends of mine, friends of mine who've never even looked at flat track racing, but they know what hooligan racing is, or they've caught a little bit of it, come out, especially to New Jersey. New Jersey, a bunch of my buddies from Manhattan and Brooklyn came out, and they'd never been to a pro race. And they were all totally bit by the bug. Every single one of them said, they'll go back. They can't wait till next year. If they're traveling or if they can make plans to travel and can do a different AT race, they will. And all of them fell in love with it. And to me, like, that's, that's what I want to have happen. You know, I want all of us to fall in love with this sport 
and to really love and appreciate all the different labels of all the different aspects of it, you know, and, and then the guys that run flat out Friday, they've been putting on a hell of a cool event for years. It started in conjunction with Mama Tribe, which is a really, really cool show. It's in February. It's in Milwaukee. And the Flat Out Friday event is indoors. It's on a syrup-coated concrete. I mean, it's a, it's normally, I don't even know what they use it for. It's a basketball court or something. Anyway, but it's concrete. And then they pour, they pour Coca-Cola or Dr. Pepper on it, the syrup, so it's sticky. And they race on that. And they've been doing that for years, and that's another just phenomenally cool event. So I love seeing all these all these rad super hooligan, hooligan, and outlaw events going to be a feeder for getting more fans of the sport to AFT. And vice versa. I hope that AFT fans can check out some of the other you know dynamics of flat track racing. I hope they, they also come and participate and appreciate and fall in love with and have a hell of a good time at some of these hooligan races because they're just super fun. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think what I like about, you know, some of the events that you've done, the, the Super Hooligan Series, was like they're real events. Like what you just did at the Moto Beach Classic was amazing. You know, there it looked like there's like 25,000 people there. Yeah, some of them came to see the band, but then some of them got to see the motorcycle race, and now they're fans for life, you know. So I think what they're doing is great, and that looked like a really fun event. I'm, I'm going to have to do that one with you next year if I can. I love that. You're right. Roland Sands has been the spearhead of that super hooligan. He's been partnered with Indian Motorcycle for the past several years. And he is just the pro at turning something into a motorcycle carnival. It just turns into this huge festival, these huge events. You know, it's not just a race. You're right. It's always, he always loves wrapping it up in something bigger than itself. So that way we're not only exposing people who might not be familiar with super hooligan racing, but they're, but we're exposing ourselves also like, you know, Motor Beach Classic is a surf contest in the morning. I don't know anything about surfing. I live in Louisville, Kentucky, but now I get to come and check out some of the best surfers on the West Coast. And, you know, so it's just this super cool, neat flux of people and all these different cultures and there's all these different mishmash. But, but the, at the root of it all is we all are there to have a good time. And everybody does have a good time. And you nailed it right on the head. Motor Beach Classic this year was wrapped up in an event called Surf City Blitz. That's what it was partnered with. And that's a huge punk rock concert. There was easily, it sold out. It sold out weeks in advance, months in advance, it was sold out. There's, which means that they must have sold probably 35,000 tickets. And every single one of those 35,000 people that were coming to that concert had to walk past the flat track races or had to walk past pits and paddocks. So they were exposed whether they knew it or not, or this group of huge custom bike show. There was, I mean, there was, it was, you had to go through motorcycles to get to the concert. And that was the whole thought process behind it is we're going to expose you to this culture too. Even if you're just here to see social D, even if you're just here to see rancid, you are not going to get there without looking, looking at least and falling in love with at least one bike. It's impossible. So that was a really cool event this year. It was a two day event this year. It was massive. There's no way that he won't do it again next year. Last year was the very first year for it. I was invited to come and do the color commentary for that with Mr. Larry Huffman, who you would know from the Wayback machine from the seventies. He used to be the announcer for supercross motocross. And he is the, like the, inventor, I don't know, trademark holder, I don't know how you want to phrase it, of Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. That's him. That's Larry Huffman. So getting to sit on a couch with him and call races together was amazing. It was an absolute highlight of my career. It's one of the coolest things I've ever had a chance to experience. Huge thanks to Roland Sands uh, for believing in me and booking me for several of these gigs and giving me the opportunity. It's been a dream come true, honestly. 
Right on. So 2018, you got to work with me with in uh, the American Flat Track series. Um, Speaking of dreams was, come true. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. So what was it like, you know, what was it like working within the series this past year? You, I, you said you only did six events, but what, what was it like? I loved it. I had a total ball. I had such a great time. It was really fascinating to see the production side of it. I did not feel like I had any, you know, particular jitters or anything from that neck of the woods because I do live streams so much in my normal life. I do live streams for, like I've mentioned, uh, Chopper Town. I do twice a week. I do a moto show. And then when I travel and stuff, I open up the camera and do live streams for them as well. So that part of it totally didn't spook me. But it was really interesting to learn more in depth about what goes into the making of the production of it. You know, it's a lot. It's so much more than you see when you click on fans choice, you know, when you click on fans choice, I think people get really confused because it has such kind of like a TV look to it, but it's not TV, bro. It's live. It's digital. Like we are at the mercy of the local internet. We're at the mercy of how many people are on this broadband. We're at the mercy of, I mean, all these different things. So I think it's just really rad and must, and speaks to the quality of it, you know, that people kind of treat it like television. It's just a really exciting, neat thing to be a part of. And I'm just so pleased that I could, you know, work the schedule out and come on board and, and jump in and do those six events with you. Um, hopefully we're looking at 2019. I sent an email just today, as a matter of fact, uh, giving them the gentle nudge that I would, <laughs> that, I would like, that I would like to be back. <laughs> Absolutely. You got to do that like a couple times, you know, during the off season, make sure they don't forget about you for sure. So I still do that too. And I've been there 10 years, so you're not the only one. So <laughs> what were your expectations coming into this season, working with them? I really, honestly, I didn't have, I didn't really have that many expectations. I just really was excited for the opportunity. I was really excited to see these different tracks. I was really excited to broaden my own personal depth of flat track racing. Like I said, I mean, I've had, I've had a lot of exposure to it and I'm clearly, I'm a fan but it was neat to be able to lean back on some of the training that I received from Johnny Lewis 10 training and Supercamp and Colin Edwards to reach back a little bit into those Rolodexes and use that knowledge and hopefully bring something a little bit deeper to the broadcast. You know, I, I'm clearly super enthusiastic. That's, that's my thing. That's who I am. You can only be who you are, right? I'm a huge fan. Um, I love spreading that enthusiasm with people via live stream or television or, or live event. But I was hoping to bring a, just a little bit more knowledge also to the table. And I, I hope that I accomplished that. That's, that's all. That's the only thing that I was really expecting or, or hoping for from myself. That's I only put expectations on myself because it's the only thing that you can control out there. Right. Everything yep. else changes. Every, every, like I said, it's all, it's all of these X factors, you know, the Wi-Fi might crash. The mic is so big, it might be rain. Like all of this stuff I can control. I can't control. The only thing I can control is me, is bringing knowledge, trying to do my research, trying to say intelligent things, trying to ask intelligent questions, trying to remember also that we have so many new fans of American flat track racing. Like I've mentioned before, there's so many new people, whether they're coming from again, super hooligan, or they just happen to stumble on it or, or whatever, wherever they're coming from, there's so many new people, new viewers that I try to remember also to simplify, to, to explain it in a really graspable, accessible way. So that way they know what's going on at every minute of the event. They understand what this red flag means. Why are they starting again in a staggered position? You know, what's happening now? What's going on now? I try to remember to bring those things up as well. Right on. 
one more question about American Flat Track. Was there anything funny or interesting stories that you want to share with us? Well, I just I had such a great season, and I really loved. I mean, you and I clicked immediately, which I love. I love working with you. I think you're just a hoot. I love your wealth of knowledge. You and I got along. I think like peas and carrots the minute we met in Dallas. So that was a no-brainer. I knew we were going to have a good time. I was really, really stoked about how fun everybody on the truck and the production team is. I had such a great time, you know, cracking inside jokes, saying inappropriate things. Yes, it happens. I know. Um, and, <laughs> and having some laughs and having fun. And everybody was just so welcoming, and I had such a great time. My One of my, like, highlights for sure of the season, of which there are many, is I loved the Arizona Mile when it was just kind of thrown to me that we were going to do this mini bike race. I've been dreading it. When it came up in the production meeting, I, I thought it was just going to be, you know, small children on mini bikes, which that's cute. That's great. It's the next generation. I support all that, but it's as exciting sometimes as watching paint dry. And I was just dreading it. Not going to lie. I was really, really poo-pooed on the idea. I was really not stoked about it. And then once it was happening and I saw, Oh my God, these are adults on these tiny mini bikes, like this is a booty bike race. Now I know what you're talking about. Cause that's a Midwest thing. And hey, I get it. And once I saw that's what was happening and I just know that you needed me to talk down there and kind of talk us through it. But I did. And we had a great time and I had a bunch of laughs. And then you were like, Hey, interview the winner. And the winner just happened to be coming around like turn three into four, you know, heading back to start finish as it were in this tiny little horse trot ring um, right in front of uh, the grandstand and I just ran and jumped up and I just ran up to him and was like I'm getting on the back I just jumped on the back and then we just scooted on over to the start finish and then did the interviews from there and I, I don't know the crowd the crowd loved it I could hear him laughing and clapping and I don't know it, it made me laugh and it was a totally spontaneous moment I mean that's who I am I like to have fun I like to laugh I, I'll always be willing to make fun of myself you know if it gets if it gets a laugh um, you know that's I love that part of it too. I try to try to be serious and be intelligent, but I, I like when I can show a little bit of personality out there. You got to have fun because if you're having fun, I think the crowd's going to enjoy it and they're going to have fun too. I think so too. Totally. Right on. So Carter would be really upset if, if we didn't mention your wiener. Tell us about Frank. <laughs> I knew eventually you're going to have to ask about my sweet wiener. Um, yes. So Carter and I belong to a very exclusive club of the crazy uh, wiener dog parents. He is a crazy wiener dog dad. I am a crazy wiener dog lady. Um, I have a really, really awesome little dog named Frank. He is a mini uh, dachshund, which is also known as a wiener dog. Uh, he's awesome. He's my little buddy. He's the greatest dog. And more importantly, Jay Springer seems to had a wiener dog, too. So obviously, I'm in good company out here. Yep. Uh, I mean, that's perfect. I asked you before when you're on the road, what does Frank do? I think you said you take him with you. Sometimes he goes on some road trips with you. I know he's down in Florida, but what does he do when you have to go travel all, to all these races and stuff? Well, it takes a village for sure. I have a really, really outstanding um, little team of uh, dog sitters and house sitters and great people that I can call on. I'm really, really lucky in that way to have found people that love him as much as I do. And so I know he's in super, super good hands. Um, so he usually stays home. I try not to upset his schedule too much. I mean, that's just how dogs are. But it's, but I'm also super lucky because if I go for more than, you know, a couple of days, and especially if I'm driving, I do bring him with me. So I had a really good chance. I had the good fortune of being able to take him this past year to Daytona for Bike Week with Indian Motorcycle because the hotel that we stay at allows dogs. 
And more importantly, not only do they allow dogs, we would walk to the um, great big huge foyer and, and they would all like, good morning, Frank. Hi, Frank. They would all like greet him and talk to him. They were super stoked about it. Uh, so that was really great. I love being able to take him. That was really special and really, really rad to have him because that's a two-week show. At the end of it, you know, I mean, it's, it's 10 days for normal people who go, but for people that are working it, that's almost two weeks. So that's a pretty long run and it was nice to be able to come home at night and have dinner and, and come home and hang out with my dog and go for a walk on the beach. So uh, we got to do that. And then I got to take him this year also to Sturgis. So I was really, really stoked about that. So I've got, I'm just, I keep saying it, but it's true. I just feel really lucky. I'm super grateful. I've had really awesome clients and had really great people that I work with and work for. I can't say it enough. I'm really, really grateful. I'm really excited about the next chapter. Like I said, I'm trying to pursue some different things. I'm trying to get into a little bit different avenues. I would love to pursue and be a little bit more in, you know, flat out Friday space. I'd love to be in X game space, nitro circus, Supercross. I'd like to be in front of those eyeballs a little bit more. And I've been trying to send bios and video footage to them. And also about a post talking to folks in the auto world. I reached out to some friends at NASCAR to send my bio over there as well. I love all the wheels. I mean, you know, I love motorcycling because that's just my wheelhouse and it's my thing. I'm not afraid to talk cars either. I'm not afraid to go car racing. <laughs> there you go. There you go. You know, yeah, Frank is pretty popular. I love how you post him on your Instagram stories and stuff like that. So people need to follow you on Instagram and social media. So we're at the end of the episode where we do our rapid fire questions. So I want you to tell us the first thing that comes to mind when I ask you the questions. Are you ready? I am ready, Scotty Doodler. Favorite race, motorcycle event you've ever covered? So event or race, whichever. It's got to be Motor Beach Classic. It'd be a really tough call between this year and last year. I would give it to last year only because I was holding down the live stream for it. So it was three and a half hours of live stream video footage. And it was with Larry Huffman. Right on. Favorite motorcycle you've ever ridden? Right now, I would probably say, I mean, I've got, I'm a girl who's like the right tool for the right job. So I've got a little bit of everything in my garage, but the bike that just brings me joy, just starting it, because it just makes such a racket, is my 125 Elsinore, because it just makes such a boatload of noise. And it's just that sweet two stroke. And I, it's just a smile machine. It's such a good time. How many motorcycles do you own? I think I have six right now. Wow. What's your favorite track you've ever been to? Ooh, tough call. Uh, probably Barber. Why is that? I go, or I used to go, I missed this year, but I have gone for the past several years to the Barber Vintage Festival. Have you ever been to Barber? I've never been to Barber. Really? Oh, my God. Really? You gotta, okay, you got to put it on your list. So Barber Motorsports Park is in Alabama. It's just east of Birmingham. It's a relatively new facility. It's only been open for like 12 or 13 years. But the folks that run it keep it immaculate. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's a beautiful facility. The paddock is great. The track is nice. I've had the chance to race on the track. I raced vintage sidecar several years ago on that track. Um, it's just a really spectacular track, but it is also one of the best collections of bikes and cars you've ever seen in your life. The museum is phenomenal. The museum alone, you could spend an entire day in. So I recommend it to anybody listening, put it on your list. It's open all year round. I go during the vintage festival when people come from all over the world, literally New Zealand, Australia, Europe, come to race um, at the Barber Vintage Festival, which is always in October. Okay. 
Back to the rapid fire questions. No, most, <laughs> that was not very rapid. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. <laughs> most embarrassing moment on the microphone. Oh my gosh. I don't know. I don't embarrass really easily. I know that's a really cop out answer, but I really genuinely don't. If I make a misstep, I just keep on trucking. That's the nature of live event. You can't take it back. You can't change it. It's out there, and you just got to put your head down and barrel through it. All right. What is one goal that you have yet to achieve? More, uh, more race announcing and larger event announcing, a la like something like Supercross. Right on. Top, top, top of the list. It would be announcing for MotoGP. That would be freaking awesome. I would, I would love would, that. You know. All right. Besides yourself and me. Who is the greatest announcer ever? Um, to me, the greatest announcer ever is Julian Ryder. He's absolutely okay. phenomenal. He's hilarious. He's a wealth of knowledge. He, he's amazing. He had a really great partner. Like I said, I love when, when there's two in the box. I've, t- I've talked to you a little bit about, about maybe doing that with you. But anyway, when there's two in the box doing the broadcast, that way there's patter. Um, he used to do it with a guy named Toby, and they were just always amazing together. I always love listening to their broadcasts. They used to broadcast for oh Eurosport, Eurosport. But that would be my answer. Julian Ryder. Okay, I'm really, really pumped to work with Larry Huffman too. Right on. So I love your I love your website. I love your social content. Your website is at jackievanham.com. Is that right? You know it. All right. Keep up the good work. And at the, we're at the very end of the episode. Do you want to say thanks to anyone? You know, I just really want to thank. If I had to thank anybody, it would just be. I mean, I I I would I would thank everybody. <laughs> That's a terrible answer. I just would love to thank the incredible folks that I've had the good fortune of working with, the folks that have taken a chance on me, the folks that have have hired me, the folks that have seen me do a gig and then booked me for their gig right on the spot. I've just had really, really great companies and folks that I've had the good fortune of working with and working for and working alongside. And that faith and that trust and that belief, it lights fire under me and I love it. Awesome. Jackie Van Ham. Thank you so much for taking time out of your night and talking with us here on Off the Groove. Okie dokie. Have a good night, boys. Thanks, Jackie. You too. Bye. 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 Are you still there? I'm right here. I've, I've got a big smile on my face because she, she's exciting. <laughs> I'm telling she's you. She's awesome. She's, she's full of energy. We've wanted to talk to Jackie for a while. I love her because she's got a wiener. Um, I've got a wiener. And, you know, I love wieners. Do they look the same? No, hers is black. Mine's brown. What? That's a true story. I think her wiener's bigger than mine, too. I, I'm, I'm okay admitting that. <laughs> I have a little wiener. <laughs> a little brown one. <laughs> a little brown wiener. No, but honestly, this girl knows motorcycles, and she loves talking motorcycles. She loves everything about anything on two wheels. So it's uh, it's cool to have her on the show and kind of get to know her a little bit more, her backstory, what she did before she came to uh, American Flat Track. And there's so much more to her story. Like she's been over to Europe two times, yep. you know, basically on her own, sleeping wherever on somebody's couch, you know, bumming rooms, uh, hanging out with really great people. And we didn't even get to, you know, scratch the surface on that. But that just shows you how much she loves her motorcycle. She shipped a bike over there both times and rode all over Europe. And I, man, I'm, I'm jealous. Don't be jealous. You get to hang out around motorcycles too. And you get to talk on a microphone. I know. I think what I'm jealous is I, I think I take for granted my position sometimes because, you know, I'm the only, you know, announcer. Scotty's making I, air quotes the, right now for those of you who can't see. <laughs> I'm the, well, I don't want to cut out the girls that announce with me, but I'm basically 
you know, there's only one of me. Yeah. And there's I only one Scotty Dubler. That is a that is absolute <laughs> fact. I get to announce the Grand National Flat Track Series, which yeah. nobody else gets to do what I do. But I I don't get to do like what Jackie did. I don't get to go to Europe. I don't get to, you know, I guess it's wherever your passion is. And I guess I'm just a little jealous of what she did. I think that'd be awesome. It definitely and, would be awesome. I don't on. even ride motorcycles. And, what? and she said she's jealous of me before. So, I mean, I guess we're in the same spot. Cause she, she wishes she could go to all the Grand Nationals. So I get it, man. But man. Hats off to her. Hell of an interview. Um, hell of a chick. I love her. Um, and uh, hope to see her out there more in 2019. So that's the end of episode number two for the weekend. Two of three in the can. Done. We got one more. You're wearing me out, son. Yeah, we're going to have some fun with this. Uh, tomorrow we're going to talk to the electric horseman. Michael Lawless? Michael Lawless, the blogger himself. All right. Well, enjoy the day after your birthday tonight. And don't <laughs> do anything stupid. Everybody, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace.